Welcome to TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. The presenting sponsor of TalkScript is SitePen, a JavaScript consultancy helping companies improve their apps, tools, and teams. Check it out at sitepen.com. Let's find out if TalkScript is your type of podcast. Hello, and welcome to the TalkScript podcast. I'm going to be hosting today. Brian, our regular host, is uh, at home taking care of his sick family. And it's not because of the terribly cold weather that we have in the Midwest right now, but that probably has contributed to some of that. I am your host, Neil Roberts. I'm just happy to be here. It's an honor just to be nominated. Uh, I'm here with uh, Paul Shannon. Howdy, y'all. And Hong Chan Choi. Hello. So our guest today is part of the Chrome Web Audio team. I'll do a little bit of an intro in a minute here after we get through some of our updates and some fun games when we get into the meat of the podcast right now to start with i think paul has a typescript community update yeah there's just a couple things worth saying as far as typescript and ecmascript goes so public class fields for classes are now supported in chrome 72. for us that use typescript we don't really have to worry about that because that's been in the the language for a while but it's now available in javascript yay and that's that's kind of just to initiate public class fields right right because when you're in JavaScript, that's that's really where it's at. It's it's initializing it and the shape of your class. Because if you you can set a value on the public class fields and it it'll default to that value like you did it in the constructor. But if you don't set a value, it'll be undefined, but it'll still be present on the instance of the object. So it it maintains shape. Another thing worth mentioning, Yarn is converting to TypeScript 2. I think it was in Yarn 2 that they're they're gonna do that push. And so another one joins the TypeScript community. So welcome, Yarn. Okay, and now I have a fun little game for us to start out with. Ang-chan, I don't think has played this before, but Paul is familiar with it. I've picked some stories about audio, specifically audio recording and playback. And I'm going to read through them, and you're each going to guess whether the story I've told you is true or false. I've tried not to make it too nuanced, so it should be, it should be clearly true or clearly false. So I'm going to read a story. And I'll kind of switch between you two, and you can guess whether you think it's true or whether you think it's false. When do we get the answers? Right after. I'll tell you how wrong you are. (laughs) Okay, the first story is, the first amplifier ran on compressed air. As the needle moved, a reed valve moved accordingly, allowing more or less compressed air to flow out of the valve and through a compression horn, reproducing the sound of the record reasonably accurately, but many times louder. So obnoxiously loud were they, in fact, that most were sold to be used in outdoor events and very large restaurants. So Hong Chen, do you want to take a stab at whether you think this is true or false? Sounds like a true for me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you think, Paul? So like the first speaker was the equivalent of somebody blowing up a balloon and then squeezing the tip to make it whine just correct. I I think like like blowing out and hitting a speaker cone. Sure, why not? That sounds like a good first attempt. <laughs> You're correct. It's true. Yeah, I, I thought that story was really interesting that kind of the first amplifier was obnoxiously loud. That was a, a, a fun uh, history of speakers that uh, you'd think that you might have problems with things being too quiet, but it sounds like they brute forced it. Okay, next story. Earlier recordings favorited quieter instruments, avoiding the trumpet, cornet, and trombone. String bass replaced lower register brass instruments, such as the tuba and the euphonium. Bass drums stood in for blocks of wood. 
Performers also had to arrange themselves strategically around the horn to balance the sound and to constantly monitor how deep a groove was being made. Paul, you want to take your guess at this one? Oh, man, that sounds like lossy stuff. Sure. Let's let's say that's true. That sounds like early audio engineering. Okay. Hong Chen? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's how how we actually came up with the idea of orchestration, you know, to be uh, balanced in the in terms of uh, audio spectrum. So it is false. Oh, oh no, you guys. <laughs> it's just it's 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 literally that story with everything reversed. So early recordings actually had a problem with it not being loud enough, so they favorited really loud instruments. But I thought it, I thought it was conceivable that you might be worried about how deep of a groove you're you're doing rather than it not being deep enough. So I got you on that one. Okay, final story. On the morning of August 27th, 1883, ranchers on a sheep camp outside Alice Springs, Australia, heard a sound like two shots from a rifle. At that very moment, the Indonesian volcanic island of Krakatoa was blowing itself to bits 2,233 miles away. Scientists think this is probably the loudest sound humans have ever accurately measured. Hong Chan, you wanna? Well, yeah, this is hard, but I'll go with the truth. Okay. Paul? I don't know. I mean, can we measure sounds in space? Is that even, is that a thing? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go false. I'm gonna differentiate. I'm gonna say, no, like there's gotta be other stuff out there. <laughs> right. This is true. They think that is the loudest sound that has ever been accurately measured. Yeah, I think a lot of stuff comes from space, but uh, I think atmosphere really muffles it pretty loudly. Or pretty, pretty like a ton. So Hong Chan wins truthy falsy. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you don't, you do not like winning things. It doesn't feel like it's very fair, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I blame it on Paul. <laughs> I had to differ. I had to go, I had to go someplace different. I, I'm like, yeah, I mean, sound and space feels like, you know, you should be able to measure vibration, right? I don't know. I think your your reasoning was sound. Oh boy. <laughs> I so I'm going to more formally introduce Hong Chan right now. He started his music career as a computer musician 2 decades ago in South Korea. After 10 years of music production and teaching, he came to the US for doctoral research at Stanford University. Throughout his career at Stanford, he got to work closely with Jonathan Berger, Chris Chafe, and Jay Wang. The encounter with Web Audio API in 2012 changed the course of his research and led him to work with Chris Rogers, the author of the Web Audio API, and Chris Wilson, who is the author of the Web MIDI API. In 2014, he joined Google Chrome to work on web music technology full-time after working on his PhD thesis, Collaborative Musicking on the Web. For the last four years, he drove several projects in and out of the Web Audio API. Omnitone is the first VR audio renderer on web and audio worklet extensible performant audio processing on the web. Right now, he's serving as the specification editor of the Web Audio API and owner of the Web Audio API implementation in Chrome browser. So a lot of impressive things. <laughs> Quite a mouthful. It is. <laughs> We're very lucky to have you as a guest on our podcast. We're excited to talk to you. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really pleased to be here today. So Paul, you're the, you're the knowledgeable person in SitePen about Web Audio. Yeah, I don't have all those credentials, which is why I'm, I'm simply an end, end user, not the inventor and, and mover in, in web audio space. But as far as web audio goes, for our listeners, we did a podcast earlier that kind of introduced people to what sound is and what web audio is and, and kind of the ideas behind it. 
we kind of talked about how web audio is now kind of a canvas for sound. It gives you the opportunity to actually have low-level interaction with sound in a way that the audio tag or a video tag or WebRTC or the other audio source options don't really give you that access to. And so you can think of it simply as a, a source, like oscillator nodes and things like that provide source data, and then a destination which does playback. And in between, there's some transformation of the audio source, just to keep it kind of like a, a simple idea in your head for those not familiar with web audio. If I'm allowed to add a few more comments there, I really like the metaphor of a canvas, but I think the, the proper metaphor should be actually SVG rather than canvas because Web Audio API, it comes with a lot of built-in building blocks called audio nodes. So it doesn't give you like the super low level, like audio sample manipulation type of things, but yeah, we call it as a high level API. And so source and destination, they're, they're just type of audio nodes. And I really like your explanation about how the source and destination works. Also, we do have a processor type of nodes like a compressor, delay, convolution. So basic idea is building your synthesizer or audio effects just like you build yeah, Legos. So that's a great differentiation, in fact, because like SVG, there are basic building blocks for audio. But at the same time, there's also your script processor node or web audio worklets that give that low-level access to it. So there is a bit of a differentiation between the two. I guess I've been more on the script processor node and raw manipulation of buffer side than dealing with interconnected like building blocks of sound and, and wave shaping and, and things like that. VR and AR are kind of like on the edge of, of technology right now, and, and there's a lot of experimentation going on. And then just even having normal sound available to us in that in a way that applications on our phone would have to notify us of things, like all of that kind of fits into the ability to have sound on the web. And so I'm kind of excited having the ability to have real-time audio and this manipulation, having access to that and, and creating it from the ground up like we might do with an SVG or manipulating it like we might do Canvas. Yep. I totally agree with that. So I see a web browser or web platform in general as a media consumption platform. And WebVR is all about delivering like a more immersive content to the user. So I think the web is perfectly capable of doing that. And also I recently, it's not really recently, in 2016, I launched a project called Omnitone, which basically renders 3D audio based on WebAudio API for WebVR. And I think it has been going great. I think a lot of people are using that in some very interesting way. What we have in the WebAudio API is based on a simple HLTF. Uh, basically, it goes, it dates back to like 1960s. It's very old technology. But what Omniton does is something called the ambisonic audio. So basically, it came up with the, the ambisonic audio format, which it, the first order ambisonic audio format is actually four channel of audio. Based on this four channel of audio data, you can actually reconstruct the spatial sound, which you can actually rotate or, you know. The, so it, it is, it, I think it's very interesting technology. Ambisonic is not really new or cutting edge, but the, the point of this Omniton project is now we are capable of doing this type of real-time processing in the web browser. So that's how that's kind of where Web Audio API shines. So 
what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is it's not using Pena node in Web Audio API to do specialize the audio. Okay, so it, it's some sort of rotation that happens on the actual audio. Yeah, it's not source-based. It's more of a rotating sound field around you. Okay, so unlike Dolby, what is it? Dolby Atmos, where you have exactly. sound sources and things like that. Yes, conceptually, it's just very similar, yes. We were kind of curious about the Web Audio API and the state of adoption. It seems over the last five years that there's been a number of churns that, that happened. I don't know if that's the right word, but a number of things that have happened that have move the spec in different directions at different times. I love to talk about this. Actually, I'm writing a, a long article about the history of WebAuty API right now. So this is a really, really interesting topic for me. So adoption. I think the web is in, inherently a distributed system. So in my opinion, there is no single indicator that can be associated with the state of adoption, right? So in short, we don't have the web. Web doesn't have a centralized marketplace like app store so it's really hard to tell who's doing what out there but if i have to guess i think the best metric we have is the usage count of audio context object so we basically are counting the number of object construction on the client side and by the way this information is completely public on chromestatus.com so according to the data this morning we have about three percent of a stack rank out of the entire web APIs. So I think it's very happy news compared to what we saw in a few years back. It was about like 1%, 1.5%. So measuring the actual industry adoption of the API is almost impossible to get it done correctly. On the other hand, what I can tell you is my ongoing effort on partnerships around WebAuty API. Actually, I was at NAMM show last week. It's an annual conference for all the musical instrument or music software vendors in one place, it happens annually at the Anaheim, California. It's like the biggest music show that you can ever actually see. It's a pretty interesting place. I went there to meet all the partners in one place. I was able to see, clearly see the strong momentum from Pro Audio side after the launch of Audio Worklet and WebAssembly, which I hope we can talk more about it in another opportunity. So Pro Audio web apps like BandLab and Soundtrap, they now boost more than 8 million user bases in total. So it happened over the yeah, past few years, and I think they are doing pretty well in the US education market, even like Asian education market. So as of 2018, we have at least five digital audio workstation. You know, a digital audio workstation is a type of a comprehensive music making software, just like GarageBand, Pro Tools, Logic Pro, but now they are on the web. Given that we don't see any AAA game engine on the web yet, I think our adoption rate in terms of a pro audio is that faster than game engines, I think. Doesn't Unity compile down to JavaScript? You would think that they would need web audio to perform sound effects or something. That's a very good question. That's why I'm I'm going to GDC on March to meet a lot of partners there too, because uh, supporting game engine developers is actually one of my top priority in 2019. So I think we are ready to do that because of a WebAssembly and audio workload. Also, there's a new API on the horizon that I'm working on. I think we are kind of ready to support the game developers in the right way. The other thing that I wanted to answer is a whole confusion and 
a lot of messy incidents in uh, spec work for past years. So I think it's kind of worthwhile to overview how we got here. That's perfect, because I was hoping you, you would have a view into that that everybody might not have. <laughs> That's actually uh, half true, because I joined the Chrome team in 2014, and this audio working group started 2010. So there's a four years of uh, things happened, but I don't remember in detail. But the audio working group was formed in 2010. The first working draft of the Web Audio API spec was published in 2011. In the same year, Chrome shipped the first implementation of the Web Audio API. In 2013, we, I mean the audio working group, requested a formal review from W3C TAG. TAG is a technical architecture group. They are kind of a highest council that you have to get some formal review so you can push your spec to the next transition state. So currently, before I think like a few years back, like two or three years ago, Web Audio API was a working draft. But now we are in candidate recommendation phase. But in 2013, we tried to move forward with the Web Audio API spec, but we couldn't do that because this tag group, they gave us a very negative feedback. And unfortunately, this tragic outcome was followed by sudden resignation from the creator of Web Audio API. So Chris Rogers left the group and he left the Google. And this event was not really well known to the mass, but I'm certain that it was a huge blow for the future of the spec work. So that's why I think it, this is one of the reasons it took so long to get this done. That makes a lot of sense. It's definitely very hard when your work is pushed back on or even flatly rejected. Yeah, I can totally emphasize. Yes, yes. Yeah, he was really he was really furious when this happened. And it took a while until the working group gets on its feedback. And to address the feedback from TAG, the working group had to come up with the biggest problem of the API, which is the lack of extensibility. As you mentioned, Paul, the script processor node was there in the spec, but it was apparently a half-baked feature with numerous problems like latency, and you're going to get glitches. It's running on the main thread. And in some implementation, we found some really, really messy bug of like data race. So we, it was really hard for me to address all the problems. So working group actually decided to deprecate the feature and started working on its replacement. But the group could not find the right, proper, like, adequate infrastructure that can satisfy the requirement of the task, because we didn't have like a shared array buffer or worklet back then. Only we had was worker, web worker. That's why we started iterating this, uh, some exploratory idea of a audio worker in the spec, but it was mostly of a preliminary work and it did not land to the spec. We removed the entire section after we realized, oh yeah, this is not possible. Right, because the problem with an audio worker back in the day is there wasn't this. Uh, so nowadays, if you have an array buffer and a worker, you can share it, almost transfer it between states without having to go through an expensive copy operation. I think the audio worker back in the day was going to have some API embedded in the worker thread to get around that or the worker, whatever you want to call it, thread I'm going to call it. But now things have kind of opened up a bit with worklets to to give the opportunity to actually 
see the full potential of a script processor node. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this worker, uh, I think the problem that I remember from this audio worker idea is is impedance. It's not proper layer to use because if we if we were to do this, each audio node, each audio worker node should spawn a worker thread. So if you like create five audio worker node that will create five worker thread. And that's just not simply maintainable. But in 2016, with Ian Kilpatrick, who is my colleague and Chrome team, and we started working on the idea of harnessing a new system called Worklet for audio processing purpose. So, and it took about an year until working group get the satisfactory review from TAG in 2017, because TAG was really happy to see this audio workless spec, and they gave us a very positive response. Now, worklets, that's another spec that's being introduced into browsers. Is that correct? You're correct. There is a worklet spec, yes. Audio worklet is just one of its variants. There is a paint worklet, and there is a animation worklet, and also there is some, some undergoing project is called tasklet. So it's more like generic task, but it runs on the worklet system. Anyhow, after that, it took another year for me to actually implement and ship the feature in Chrome Stable Channel. You already said it, it's a version 66. And finally, the spec reached the candidate recommendation after the positive response from TAG review. And it happened in 2018. And currently, we are working toward to the recommendation phase, which is kind of our end game as a specification work. That I think it, we've been working on this for eight years now. So currently, we are finalizing the spec, mostly tweaking small parts here and there. And also, we need at least two working implementations of the spec so we can move on to the recommendation phase. That means Firefox must shape audio workload so we can get to the recommendation phase. So basically, we are kind of waiting for that to happen. We've talked about kind of our experience using web audio and streaming audio, and, and we kind of found that using audio buffers to, to actually create audio is kind of interesting what it sounds like kind of outside of the, the box type use of web audio, at least right now. So from our experience, we, we actually had a project where we had to, to write a speaks decoder in the browser using web audio. The client we were working with wanted to have specifically speaks and they wanted to also have a, a bit of analytics on the data. So the opportunity to kind of look at it ahead of where playback was at to create amplitude information and just kind of data from the audio. So it was it's kind of it's kind of straightforward right now what we're doing with it, but we can imagine like in the future language type applications might want to listen to audio and analyze what they can of intent in the sound of your voice and things like that for instance from the audio buffers. We also do a bunch of other things like rate change and pitch correction which we kind of found was interesting an interesting balance between performance and making sure that the audio was smooth and the implementations that we used. So we had a bunch of like kind of interesting things that we ran into and what we kind of wished for was this this ability to have kind of some sort of stream object that you can just kind of throw the audio into and it kind of fills in the gap of what the audio tag essentially does where you have some sort of back pressure on data that's coming into your, your audio. And then once you have a certain amount of audio available, it starts to play 
And then as you get short on that audio, it maybe signals that, hey, it needs more and, and things like that. From a decoder standpoint, that would be amazing. Could you kind of talk to what you're looking at on the audio buffer and audio worklet side going forward as you support these game developers and interesting kind of use cases? Yeah, sure. I, I love it, actually. I love this topic um, because um, I also talked to some other, like a couple of companies who are interested in like implementing their own encoder decoder using WebAudio API because it's a very common use case. And oh, good. I'm not. I'm not an outlier. That's, that's no, no, nice no, no, to no, hear. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, first of all, yes, the mechanism for audio streaming and the WebAudio API's processing model they're not really compatible to each other, right? So WebAudio API is heavily oriented to memory-based audio playback. You have to load everything in the buffer so you can playback. So I'm afraid that it is not simply not a right tool for the job. Speaking of low-hanging fruit, I personally think the pitch correction and FFT, they are not one of those because this issue came up several times in the spec discussion. But it is really, really difficult to specify the exact algorithm how pitch correction should be done. We need to find an algorithm which is not patented by anyone, right? Also, we need to describe the algorithm in a normative way, just like a spec language. So we couldn't find the right design or reference paper to do this kind of work so far. That makes sense. But doesn't audio, the audio and video tags allow for rate changing and pitch correction already? Yeah, exactly. But they don't have to specify the algorithm, right? So it's relying on the browser vendor to provide that. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's up to UA. So perhaps we can do that. We might be able to say we can skip the part of saying it's up to UA and we can move on. But in my experience, it only leads to more problems. Also, WebAudio API is the lowest common factor of uh, this audio-related web APIs. So we, if we have to implement the algorithm, we better to specify in a spec language. So you don't have this incompatibility problem, interoperability problem between browsers. If you get different results based on different browser, then it will be a problem in, in the end, right? Right. So you don't want the sound to be different or essentially the, the pitch correction to sound different across different browsers. Exactly. That's one of the reasons. Also, we already have that problem with this compressor node. If you look at the spec of compressor node, like in two years ago, it was like blank section. So we didn't have any content in the spec. Basically, uh, the other browsers just using Chromium's compressor code. And that's not the right way to do this. And we don't want to repeat the same mistake for the pitch correction. So we're trying to be really careful about this. So in the short term, we could maybe expect like a third-party library to fill in that gap. Sure. I think that this is actually low-hanging fruit for audio workloads. So you can actually easily prototype if you already have an existing source code written in C or C++ for speaks decoder. You can just compile it with imscript and, and to, to do some experiment with audio workload. That's totally doable. And if this prototype becomes really popular between developers, then audio working group will be happy to investigate and implement if that's possible as a native audio node. So that's the path we love to take in the future. Now we have audio workload. So we actually kind of open, open up the path for developers. They can do the preliminary prototyping before we implement actual native features. 
that sounds like a good approach, kind of like how a lot of the working groups are using transpilers to to verify, you know, functionality of new language features and things like that. We're looking to the community then to provide features that then can be adopted in in some way into the web audio spec. Yeah, I think it's very positive feedback and it's a good cycle to have. And the other one, the FFT is a totally different story because we talked about it so many times. It it has a lot of people raised this issue throughout the web audio conference or in the discussion, in the spec uh, issue tracker. But I think our thought is on this topic is having audio specific FFT within the boundary of web audio API is kind of short-sighted because FFT can be used in many different purposes. So it should be designed with care. It should be more generic and should be extensible and performant. And by the way, any audio specific FFT also can be easily implemented within audio workload and of course, WebAssembly. Yeah, we looked at that when we were working with basically looking at the the amplitude calculations and pitch correction. And one of the concerns was the amount of processing that it might take for FFT in mobile browsers, in fact. So there was definitely concerns there. But FFT, which is fast Fourier transform for audio is useful for going between domains. So audio is in a time domain. Usually when you play back it, play back from buffers, it's in this time domain. It's like, oh, okay, you start at position zero and you go to position N and it plays it in, in order of time essentially. And then it allows you to swap to a different frequency domain to look at what frequencies make up this sound and then pick those frequencies out and replicate sound. So for instance, we were looking at it for pitch correction in, in identifying frequency signals and reconstructing the, the same audio or similar audio in a shortened time space. Yeah, that, that's a good explanation. Thank you. <laughs> sure. So yeah, that's that's definitely why it was on our list of things to ask. And, and it makes sense that it is a generic operation. It's not specific to audio. Is there any other spec that could pick up like a fast Fourier transform or or where, where would we look to for that to be implemented? That's a really good question. But my answer is we still don't have a, like a right venue for this. But um, I'm actually hoping to discuss this issue in the media working group, which recently chartered. So I think the media working group can focus on this and the other encoding decoding stuff as well. But yeah, uh, let me add a few more comments on this fixed decoder thing. I published an article about audio workload design pattern a few months back. And there is a design pattern that you can use shared array buffer an audio workload WebAssembly worker. So it's it's for, it's kind of very complicated design, but it gives you the like a lot of horsepower to process uh, things like FFT. So I recommend you to take a look at that design. And by the way, some companies actually implemented the entire audio application with this pattern, and they did not have any like performance issue there. So it's I think it's it's a generally good sign. Given that, I think the having a single instance of a speaks decoder in the worker thread would not be actually an issue. We also tried at the time, we WASM compiled the speaks decoder over to WebAssembly and it worked okay, but for our client, it wasn't right. You know, it, it's something that we could do and it was awesome, but we don't want to like leave a client hanging where like, okay, here's the software, but in order to debug this, you need somebody that's an expert in C and WASM and JavaScript and the browser. 
So like they hired us and and we're great at solving very complicated problems, but then to hand that bag over to, to them just didn't feel right. So WASM is in this tricky space right now where it's like, yes, they can do amazing things very efficiently. But then if for, for client space, if you're handing it off to a client, it's like, well, here you go. And if you ever have any problems, you need to have a very specific, probably expensive person to troubleshoot that. So there's a lot of good stuff coming in, but it's it's that's very yeah. interesting perspective for me. I think yeah, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is why I'm like, oh, let's push for standards and and have the browser provide that, so then the clients can you know become familiar with standards and, and use that. Which is why standards are amazing. Now I can see where where you're coming from. Yes, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so. If you had anything else to add to the Speaks Decoder discussion, that we can talk about that. But next, I kind of wanted to look at Web Audio's future. Like, what are you looking towards? Sounds like you're working with game developers, which is awesome, because I think I think that would encompass the realm of like VR and more experiential uses of of audio on the web. But yeah, what are you looking for in the near term for Web Audio, and and maybe even five years out? Like, what do you expect to come out? Yeah, of? I think it's a very exciting time to talk about this because so. In the working group, we are currently uh, brainstorming new features for next generation of audio APIs on the web. So one of the priorities that that I that I love to talk uh, have a chat with you is the design of flexible decoding and encoding API, which potentially be non-blocking, progressive, and should be based on stream object, like you asked, right? So I believe, yeah, I believe this will address the issue we just talked about and. This work will be done under the media working group, I believe. That's our plan for now. The other API that I'm personally involved is something called Audio Device Client. It's a tentative title. It's a tentative title, but it's a like really low-level API. It actually sits under the Web Audio API in terms of a like layering. So it is a sort of a proxy of a audio hardware, which is recognized by the browser. And you can configure the audio hardware with certain parameters, like this is the number of input channel that I want, this is the number of output channel that I want, this is separate that I want, and this is my favorite buffer size. Then if you send those parameters, then your audio hardware will be hooked up with your tab, and it will give you a, a, something like a workload global scope and single audio callback with input and output. So. We are discussing this design since last October because uh, you know the WebOD API is really nice and awesome, but when you have like tons of existing source code written in C++, it is really hard to rewrite everything from scratch with JavaScript. So, and that's kind of uh, all the scenario and stories that, are, that we've been hearing from the game developers because it's a rewriting to in, within a web audio API is just, just too much. So we want to support them by providing them with this like lowest level of audio API. So you can just work as you're working on the native platforms like Android or iOS. And this is different than like what, what WebRTC or something provides where you have access to a microphone. This is, it almost sounds like you can define the number of, of input channels for like by, was it by natural audio or was it ASL or something like that? So get user media is the feature that you're talking about. It's a, it should be higher level than this one. So ideally, 
this audio device client will handle all the higher level audio operation on top of it. Web Audio API should run on top of audio device client. And WebRTC's GetUG Media might be able to run on top of this one too. So like I said, we focus on providing more, even more low level APIs uh, as much as possible to developers so we can compete with the native platforms. That's kind of a, our trend here. We have the annual conference for web platform engineers and spec writers that is called TPAC. And we had one last October and we started talking about this like new venue for external developers or communities. So right now what we have is audio working group, but we want to create, we want to kick off this new venue called audio community group. That makes a lot of sense because the web audio is a small component and the community is really large around audio and what you can do with it. Exactly. So, but now it has been kind of very exclusive in terms of, a. I mean, even though the discussion itself is public, but jumping into the discussion and raising an issue wasn't really accessible or approachable to developers, but we want to change that. So this audio community group will be a venue for the incubation of new features for any audio related feature on the web. So I think this audio device client feature currently is a proposal and this project will be the first project of an audio community group actually. Oh, neat. Yeah. So anyone can join and raise your hands and to, to give some comments or opinion about it. So I'm very excited about this new thing. Perfect. I think people listening to this especially would be interested in participating and, and joining that group. Yep. Okay. So I think we've went over, we've went over a lot of stuff, a ton of stuff. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Like what kind of cool projects are out there perhaps, or what are you interested in seeing happen with audio? Like for myself, it would be really cool to see some sort of spatial audio in VR with kind of materials and reflections being accounted for. And I don't know, maybe Dolby Atmos type sound sourcing or, or I don't know, like just, just something out there. Have you seen anything interesting, cool, like in the near term and in the long term, like what is really would be something interesting that you would like to see come out maybe in the next several years? For the quick answer, myself and my friend Drew Allen, and we created a uh, uh, some project called Resonance Audio. You can just Google it. And it's exactly what you just described. It's this ambisonic audio, which basically specializes sound for like 360, but it has a lot of interesting tools inside. You can position, you can like uh, uh, locate a source and also you can define the material of the wall and the reverberation and all that. So definitely you might want to check that out. It's uh, Resonance Audio SDK. Cool. I'll have to take a look at that because, yeah, I've started to to look more into the VR and material space, and it, it adds quite a bit to immersion to have proper sound in your experience. Mm -hmm. Also, I like to shout out this pro audio web apps out there. We have now a variety of lineups there on audiotool.com, M2 Studio, BandLab, and Soundtrap and Soundation, at least five DAWs running inside a web browser. And they are quite capable. So if you're interested in like making music and also if you're interested in using free tools, I think they could be a really nice gift for you. Yeah, definitely something worth checking out. And tools like that will really kind of show what web audio can do on the web. Great. So yeah, it was awesome hearing about all the stuff that's going on. And I know that Learning kind of how young some of this stuff is uh, is really interesting. I think that a lot of people have taken a look at 
what web audio is capable of doing and might have kind of pushed off attempts to use it for a while. So, so knowing that it's so active and kind of where we're at right now is kind of the latest iteration and one that standards body seems pretty happy with is good news. Mm-hmm. I think that wraps our whole discussion up. Thanks for talking with us again. Thanks for sharing all of our internal stuff at our internal struggles at SitePen, Paul. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm, I'm really happy to get this out of my system. So <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm excited to, to the article you're writing about the history of web audio. I'm excited to read that. Okay. Yeah, and I think people kind of need to know, hey, like what's going on with the spec and having a person from the inside actually talk about it and say, hey, this is where we've come from and this is where we're at. And we have challenges and we respect the developers and we want to bring everybody along the best we can and and make this a, a reality. It's really good to hear. All right. Yeah. I'll try to finish up the article as soon as I can. But yeah, it'll take a while. I'm collecting a lot of evidence from here and there, like from discussion like eight years ago. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks again. It was a great, great discussion. Yeah. Well, that's it. Thanks for joining us on the TalkScript podcast. We'll hopefully catch up with you later. I think that would be a fun follow-up episode. I'll be happy to. And thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks, Hongjai. Bye. Thanks for listening to the TalkScript podcast. You can round out your TalkScript experience by viewing our show notes, listening to past episodes, subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, and of course, following us on Twitter at TalkScript. We record new episodes every other week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. Got a good thing going on. Ba, 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 ba. We got it.